Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, we do praise you for uh, a God of wonders, a God that cares and loves about every detail in our life, Father. I pray that we would always see and understand that you do uh, have compassion upon our needs, Father. The things that we uh, cry out to you for, you hear. And we thank you just for Donovan and Charla, Father, that you heard their cry, that you have worked to show that you are creative and that you care. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just speak to us, Father, to give us hope and to give us a vision, Father, so that we would not give up on you, that know that you have a plan and a purpose for all that you do. Father, we do thank you and we do praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That does segue into uh, tonight's study, because if you can remember, um, we're in the deep, dark days of uh, the wicked Queen Jezebel. And uh, Jezebel was a tyrant of a woman that uh, was trying to destroy the worship of uh, the God of Israel, Jehovah, and she was bringing in the worship of Baal. Uh, a god from her hometown that uh, was the god of fertility to make the land fertile. And uh, hence they had their occultic practices to get whatever they wanted to. And uh, Jezebel was a demanding woman. She wanted to get whatever she wanted to. And hence in the midst of these days we watched Elijah, the kingpin of all prophets, butt heads with the wicked queen Jezebel, and we watched Elijah seem to not even make a dent in her. He couldn't phase her, even after calling down fire from heaven, after killing 400 of her prophets, we watched Elijah turn around and go into a state of really virtually suicidal. He was depressed. He was miserable. He cries out to God and he says, God, you don't care about me. Nothing works right. It's no use being alive. I can't take care of this Jezebel. Nothing works, God. And he goes through a pity party, pouting little tenter tantrum between him and God. And God comes through with the earthquake, and he wasn't in the earthquake, and there was a fire, wasn't in the fire. And it was that still, small voice that comes up to Elijah and speaks to Elijah. Encourages Elijah. Says, Elijah, get up. Don't sit here and cry. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And hence, God comes up to Elijah and says, I need you to do three things. I want you to appoint an enemy king, this guy Hazel. I want you to go up and appoint a new king of Israel, the northern ten tribes that uh, you're trying to minister to. And then I want someone to replace you. Which I would have thought was the hard thing for Elijah to hear, like, gee, I'm replaceable. And we talked about what that means. In God, you have to understand, was starting to work a deep work in the nation of Israel. He's starting to work a deep work to show that he answers prayer. We've watched a lot of things start to transpire to pull us into 2 Kings chapter 8. You're watching a season, if you would, 
of, of things not happening the way that we would have liked, but God starts to show a lot of supernatural things on how God conquered an army and brought them by blinding them right into their camp and they could take advantage of them, but they decided to feed them. We're watching where God was raising the dead where God was ministering and caring, saying, I'm aware of every detail and how the axe head could float. And we're watching a lot of bizarre miracles where the, the woman who was starving to death and says, I'm getting ready to die, and Elijah comes and provides the oil that never stops to take care of her needs so that they could have cash flow so that they could eat. And God is trying to say specifically through these last few chapters that he hears and that he cares. And if we go now to this thing of Elijah, and we're going to watch a complete circle, a chain of events as things start to come together. So in 2 Kings chapter 8, we're going to see a side story that kind of wraps a few things together. And the pace, I'm sorry if this is your first time here, hopefully we've been through some of this. We're going to start to watch a few of the pieces of the puzzle start to come together. But it says now Elisha, and Elisha was Elijah's replacement. And Elisha was a kinder, gentler kind of person, we said. But Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. So if you can remember, the lady you know, didn't ask for a child, but Elisha says, I'll give you a child. The child grows, and then all of a sudden the child dies, and she gets mad, and she says, I want a warranty on the kid. Bring the kid back to life. And so Elisha brings the child back to life. And he has a soft spot for this lady. And he's going to give her the heads up. And he says, hard times are going to hit. You need to leave. There's a famine coming. So Elijah spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go with your household and sojourn wherever you can sojourn. Get out of town. For the Lord has called for a famine and it shall even come on the land for seven years. Seven years of tribulation. You need to hide, to be taken out of the way. So the woman, and we're watching this start to be now after the fact, and we're seeing that the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She left town for seven years, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came about at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went out uh, to appeal to the king. She's now going to say, hey, king, for her house and for her field. She deserted everything. She leaves town. There's been a famine for all this time. We watched how they were starving to death, and now all of a sudden there was the plethora of food that came down if all the gates of heaven could be there. And that's how we ended chapter 7, where the guy was trampled in the gates because he didn't believe it, and yet he saw it and was killed because of it, where all the food started coming in from the Arameans who uh, left everything there. And so she's coming back in and she says, I'd like to get my house back. And so she wants to go to the king and she says, I left everything, but here's my house. It's been a terrible time. Can I get my house back? So she's uh, there and she's beseeching the king. She's making an appeal to the king for her house and for her inheritance. Now the king at that exact same time, and if you haven't been with us, the king was talking to Gehazi. And this is a strange scene, because what's Gehazi speaking to a king? The last we saw of Gehazi, he was struck with leprosy. Maybe he was healed. He was supposed to be Elisha's servant, ministering to him, but he turned into a sneaky thief. Elisha busted him on the spot, and now maybe he's sitting down there trying to tell the king. Maybe he's begging for a job as well. 
He says, and the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, please. And so the king saying, tell me the great things that Elisha has done. I want to hear a cool story. Give me some updates. And it came about as he was relating to the king how he was, uh, had restored to life one who was dead. So he's going, hey, king, you know, the, you know Elisha's doing cool things. He, he brought this lady's son back from the dead. And just as he's saying this, the words are coming out of his mouth. He says that, behold, the woman whose son had restored to life, the one that was gone for seven years, she comes marching into the king right at the same time that she's being talked about. Stranger than fiction. And so it goes, uh, uh, she that, uh, and it came about as he was relating to the king, verse 5, how he restored to how he had restored to the life the one who was dead, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appeared to the king for her and uh, in her house and for her field. And Gehazi said, Hey, look, king, my lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elijah restored to life. And so the woman saying, This is perfect. I had a good guy telling me the whole story, and I walk right in. When the king asked a woman, she related to him as well. And she says, Yeah, he raised my son from the dead. So the king appointed for her a certain, um, a certain officer saying, restore, restore all that was hers and all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land even until now. So her inheritance, her piece of property was going to be given back to her. And I look at this story as the central story of everything that's happening within these chapters. That there was, Elijah was saying there's been an injustice, somebody's robbing us, this woman Jezebel's coming into the land, and God's plan is to say, I will restore, I will take care of, and I will provide for you. There's an inheritance, your, your land. Sometimes you can feel like your land has been robbed from you. Your inheritance, for us as Christians, our inheritance is our salvation. We have an inheritance. It's the kingdom of God. And there are times in our life where we can be disappointed and we can feel that our inheritance has been stolen. And we can cry out to God and we say, God, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I'm in utter despair and I can't handle it. And God's ears, they do perk and they say, hey, that ain't going to happen. We talked about one of the key stories was Naboth in the vineyard. And the vineyard that was to be stolen by Jezebel wanted to steal that vineyard, if you can remember. And she used the law to murder by setting up false witnesses to kill Naboth. And we said that that land of Jezreel, that Naboth's vineyard was like the nation of Israel. And he says, this is my inheritance. I can't get rid of it. And then... Jezebel with Ahab, the king, went in and stole it. And then Elijah comes in and says, you are not going to get away with this. You're not going to murder and take possession. It ain't going to happen. And what's being said through the whole passage is, hey, there's a season. There's a seven-year season of trials that you're going to be removed from. But God comes back, and he's working like clockwork, and he's going to fulfill his promises, and you will be restored. As she's appealing to the king, we appeal to God, and we say, God, I'm being robbed. I'm being ripped off. And God says, I hear it. It's not going to be immediate. It may take seven years. It may take a lot of things. 
But God systematically works like clockwork to, to fulfill his promises and his words. Powerful story. Verse 7, he says, Then Elisha came to Damascus. So here's Elisha. He's going to the enemy camp, Damascus, Syria. Syria is part of the capital of uh, uh, the uh, uh, Aram, right? And we hear of this wicked king again. Poor, we almost start to feel sorry for this guy, Ben-Hadad. Ben would be son of Hadad was the god that they worshipped in Aram. We said that was the storm king is their god. So Baal was up from Sidon over here and the Philistines worshipped Baal. And over on the other coast over here in the, on the inland side you go to Syria inland and, and now they always worshipped Hadad, the big storm god. And so this was the king and so he's, I'm, I'm the son of the storm god is what he was. And we watched poor Ben-Hadad. He's been thrown back and forth like a yo-yo. And uh, uh, he had come up with his own little trickery with the king of Israel. Uh, he begged for his life. The king let him go. Elijah said, what would you let him go for? You should never. Or another prophet came up to him and says, how dare you let this guy go? We watched how he was thwarted many times by the hand of God. We saw that he thought that uh, somebody was spying on him and one of his own men said, don't you know that God could hear what you say to your wife on your pillow at night? And he's like, what? what's going on here? His army was taken captive. And here Ben-Hadad, we had his, his right-hand man that he trusted, and the other guy was Naaman the leper. Remember that whole story? And Naaman the leper came, and he went to who? The God of Israel, Elisha, turns around and heals Naaman the leper, goes back now to Ben-Hadad and says, look, somebody healed me. So he's got to be a, a character that we're kind of developing a soft spot for, uh, and yet he's the evil enemy, if you would. And so Ben-Hadad, he's hearing, hey, I got a great prophet of God, my right-hand man, Naaman, was healed by him. And here I am, he's sick, right? It says, now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick. And Elisha's coming to Damascus. And as he's walking into town, and says, hey, I'm going to take advantage of it. And it was told to him, to Ben-Hadad, saying, hey, the man of God has come here, a healer. This is what you want. You're sick, you're sick Ben-Hadad. I know he's the enemy, but maybe you can get a healing out of this process. And the king said to Hazel, okay, Hazel is going to be his right-hand man. Now, for us, we're going to sit down there, and that strikes a, a, a chord in us if we're keen students. Elijah's there. Elijah, sorry, he was up on the mountain depressed, and there was three things he was supposed to do. He was supposed to re, uh, pick his replacement, Elisha, he was supposed to appoint Hazel, God named him. This guy right here, the right-hand man of the king, was going to be the replacement of King Ben-Hadad. And then we're going to hear about Jehu, by name, was appointed, is supposed to be the next king. So here, now Ben-Hadad saying, hey, Hazel, my right-hand man, I want you to go get this prophet of God to have him come over and talk to me. Take a gift in your hand and go to meet the man of God. We've got to butter him up so we can get a, a, a miracle. We pay our gods around here if we want something done. That's not the way the God of Israel works. But he thought you need to pay off God. 
So uh, he says, uh, take a gift in your hand and go to meet the man of God and go to meet him and, uh, and inquire of the Lord by him saying, will I recover from this sickness? I'm sick. Am I going to get better? I just want to know. Am I going to get through this? So um, Hazel went to meet him and he took a gift in his hand, uh, even every kind of good thing from Damascus. Forty camel loads. Gee, it's a good present, huh? Trying to figure out what to get my wife for her birthday. and uh, <laughs> It ain't going to be no 40 camels worth of stuff, you know? <laughs> but this guy's generous. 40 camel loads. He's obviously very sick. He's very desperate, and he wants to be healed. And he came, and he stood before him, and he said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, your enemy, you know what I mean? But, you know, i got to butter you up here, has sent me to you, saying, Will I recover from the sickness? Now, Elisha, fully aware of why and what's going to go happen here, Elisha said to him, you go and say to him, you shall surely recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. So go and lie to the guy. You tell him that he's going to live, but between you and I, he's dead meat. He ain't going to make it. And he fixed his gaze steadily on him. So now Elisha is staring this guy in the eyes. He's looking at him. He, he fixed his gaze on him until he was ashamed. Who's ashamed? I don't know. I think this is the guy uh, Hazel is ashamed. And then, then the man of God, Elijah, wept. So Elisha, sorry, is looking at this guy. He's staring at him. And God's speaking to him. And he says, this is the guy that he's supposed to be king. And he's staring at him. And all of a sudden, the guy goes, like, what are you looking at me for, man? You're giving me the creeps. And Elisha sits down, and he starts to cry. He's breaking down. And, he, and Hazel, the guy goes, what on earth? I gave you 40 camels worth of presents here. He says, why does my Lord weep, verse 12? And then he answered, he says, I'm crying because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. You have a ministry, Hazel. Your ministry is to punish Israel. You're going to be the hammer that's going to make our people suffer because they've rejected God. He says, because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel, their households or their, their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and their little ones you will dash in pieces and their women with children, you're going to rip apart. Hazel's like, look, man, I'm here to give you 40 camels worth of stuff. What are you talking about? And Elisha's staring at him, and he says, I know exactly what your ministry is. Your ministry is to be the hammer. It's ugly. God's people have sinned. God is hearing the prayers of Elijah. Elijah was saying, God, where's the justice? How can Israel be this stupid to turn on their own God? He was depressed. He said, I alone am left. Nobody else cares. And God says, oh, yeah, I care. Oh, yeah, justice is coming. And how is justice going to come? I told you to do three things. You're going to appoint a new king, Jehu. He's going to clean house. If we ever get to there, Hazel is going to be a hammer that is going to bring pain into Israel 
and through the purpose of pain, you're going to see that God is going to bring Israel back to its knees so that they're going to turn back to God. And then we're going to show them Elisha, a kinder, gentler kind of prophet. And Elisha is looking at this guy and says, you're going to, you're going to destroy my people. How can you look at somebody and know that they have a destiny for, for destroying your own people? And then Azel said, but what are you talking about? Man, I'm just, you know, 15th in charge. I'm nobody. I'm, I'm a servant of the king, you know. He says, he says, but what is your servant who is but, he's, I'm just a dog. That he should do such great things. You're talking about me like I'm a warrior and a terrorist and everything. I'm, that's not me. And Elijah answered, he says, the Lord has showed me that you will be king over Aram. Wow, what a message. So he departed from Elijah and returned to his master, who said to him, what did Elijah say to you? And he says, oh, you're fine. Don't worry. Kick back and relax. You lay down in your little bed right here. I'll, I'll puff up a pillow for you. He says, he surely told me that you're surely going to recover. And it came about on the morrow that he took the little pillow, dipped it in water so that it would suffocate him, and he spread it over his face so that he died. And Hazel, the murderer, became king in his place. Skilled him. Well, you know, it's what God told me to do. Man of God. Said I'm supposed to kill you? How else? Said I'm supposed to be the next king? Said you're not going to recover? Let's make this quick. I'll change strangle you and kill you. And so that puts a vicious man, Hazel, into position. And now you're starting to see the crunching part of God working to, do, to bring Israel to repentance because Elijah cried out and said, Lord, it's not fair. There's an injustice. People don't even care. And God says, I'll give them something to care. I'll wake them up a little bit. I'll show them some real pain. They're over here forgetting about me, partying, running around, having little orgies. Uh-uh. They're going to turn their back on me. They're going to get Hazel. And this is God putting this man in place. Why? Because it was getting bad. Now, we're going to break away, and I don't want to digress too far from the story here, but you're going to understand a, a, a radical chain of events. Now, if you could remember, we said that Israel was... Divided. There was a civil war. We said there was, there was Israel to the north, the ten tribes, and then there was Judah, a whole other nation to the south, who still had the temple and were the good boys. So he said Judah as a nation, by and large, was a good old bunch of boys that loved God. Israel to the north, who said there's a civil war, who says we don't want to go down to the temple anymore. They started to bring in all this false worship, if you would. But as we're starting to see the wicked ten tribes that were really starting to turn towards idolatry, you're going to start to watch where the Queen Jezebel is starting to stick her tentacles into Judah to the south. And God says this is starting to spread like gangrene. And gangrene is, uh, I guess, uh, whenever you have a lack of circulation, if it's in your fingers or if you get shot in the arm or something and your body doesn't quite circulate the blood through it, it builds up uh, a bacteria, I think, and then pretty soon it starts to eat and destroy. Your flesh is dying. And then for that bacteria that's building up inside of a dead hand, let's say if that was frozen or shot or something like that, you'd have to amputate it to stop the gangrene from spreading to the rest of the body or you're going to start losing all your limbs. 
And God is saying sin is spreading like gangrene. And what that means is we need to start doing some amputations to save what is good. Because God's watching the tentacles of Jezebel spread into Judah, the good tribes down to the south. Watch how this is happening, verse 16. So it's, it breaks off and says, now back at the ranch, if you would, down, in, down to the south, it says, now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel. Now this is going to get really to be a mind bender, right? Joram, and really his name is Jehoram, but they shorten it for us to Joram. So J-O-R-A-M is going to be Ahab's son up to the north. And they're giving that as a timeline that in his fifth year, so this is Ahab. Ahab first had a guy named Ahaziah, right? Ahaziah was the one that was sick and said, am I going to get recovered and tried to get Elijah to come and tell him what was going to happen? And Elijah called down fire from heaven and then he says, you're going to die on the spot. So Ahaziah ended up dying on the spot. That was Jezebel, mom and dad, Ahab, their oldest son, Ahaziah died, and then they put Jehoram or Joram in his place. So Jehoram is there, right, up and up to the north. It says, now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, it says Jehoshaphat, right, uh, which was the king down to the south, Jehoshaphat, then being the king of Judah, right, to the good guys down to the south, Jehoram, uh, right, J-O-H-O-R-A-M, which was the original name of Joram, but they shortened it up there. And so really you're going to have, this gets mind-bending, you're going to have Joram, king of Israel to the north, and Jehoram, king of Judah to the south, right? So you're going to have a mind-bender of a name here. But it says Jehoram, it's weird, isn't it? Uh, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, became king. And he was 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked, how? The new king of Judah? In the ways of the kings of how? The kings of Israel. So he's picking up the pollution. The gangrene is spreading. Just as the house of Ahab had done for the daughter of Ahab, let's all marry in together here, became his wife, and, sh and he did evil in the, sight of the, in the sight of the Lord. However, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He says, I can't, I got to save Judah. That's the part I'm trying to, you know, amputate certain limbs for. But Judah's the good part in God. Why? He says, for the sake of David, his servant. God made promises to David, King David. And he goes, I want to save and protect that. Since he promised to him to give him a lamp to him through his sons always. In his days, another side note, we don't want to chase after all this, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah, another country stopped paying taxes, bad times were happening, and made a king over themselves. And then Joram crossed over to Zer and all his chariots with him. And it came about that he arose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. But his army fled uh, to the tents. So Edom revolted against Judah to this day, it says, then Libna revolted at this time always, and let's not chase after these things, and the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So you go look that up if you want more information, it's saying. 
So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. So now Ahaziah is also going to be another name that comes from up north. And now Ahaziah is going to be a new king. So we're primarily concerned with the sins of Israel to the north. And they're giving us some information about the kings down to the south, how it went from Jehoshaphat to Jehoram. And now Ahaziah is going to be the king because there's a lot of things that have been happening in this time. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Joram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old. That's pretty young to be a king uh, when he became king. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. He's going to have a short reign, and he's going to be a bum. Uh, and his mother's name was Athaliah, uh, uh, right? Athaliah the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. More family ties to the, you know, let's just be just like everybody up to the north and they're falling in sin. Omri was murdered uh, and uh, uh, there was a lot of tyranny there, but his mother now is coming in, thinks that she's got something to, to brag about. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, gangrene spreading. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab have done, because he was a son-in-law of the house of Ahab. They're all related now. And God's saying, even my good people down to the south, who I promised to David, I got I to gotta stop this. And the pinchers are going to come together to end it. So King Joram returned to be healed in, uh, in Jez Jezreel of the wounds. Ooh, I'm sorry, I missed a few verses there. Verse 26, Ahaziah was 22 old when he became king. He reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Amri king. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab had done, because he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. And then he went with Joram, verse 28, sorry, the son of Ahab, to war. So they're all buddies together, ganging up to war against Hazel. Hazel's got to be the one that's terrorizing them from their border as God wanted it to, to put both of these guys together in battle. Panic situation is happening. King of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Arameans wounded Joram. So King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel, the valley where, where Naboth lived. In the wounds which the Arameans had inflicted on him at Ramah, when he fought against Hazel, king of Aram. So he's been doing his part. Hazel has been terrorizing them, inflicting pain on them. Then Ahaziah, sorry, the son of Joram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. So they're both being good old buddies. They went to war against this guy from Syria, Hazel, suffering a wound. All right? Does that blow everybody's mind away? You're somewhat with me. We're in the midst of a very complicated scene. Finally, the third piece of the puzzle hits. Now, Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets. He calls one of his assistants up. Elisha's now going to say, time for us to pull the third string. And he said to him, gird up your loins and take the flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. So go out there. And when you arrive there, search out Jehu, right? Dingle, dingle, dingle. Now it's all starting to come together. You search out Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and you go, not the son of uh, the king here, but this is another guy. There's another Jehoshaphat. Don't twist the Jehoshaphats around. But this guy Jehu, 
He's the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. And go and bid him arise from uh, among his brothers and bring him to an inner room. So I want you to go to this guy. You take him to some. unlike the Dickens, right? <laughs> and flee and do not wait. So I want you to go in and notice, I find it rather interesting. God told Elijah to do this. Elijah didn't do it, did he? Then Elisha has got to say, well, God's telling me to do it. Elisha doesn't even want to do it. You're watching one of the things that's happening here is that they're saying, we don't want to see this really happening. Israel get the spanking it deserves. Elijah says, God, why don't you spank these people? Why don't they turn? God, it's not fair. I'm the only one left. Nobody else cares besides me. Why don't you punish them? And everyone else is saying, and it's hard to really spank somebody when they deserve it. And even Elijah's saying, I, I don't want to do this. He's looking right at uh, Ahaziah, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't want to put you in place, but I know I have to do it. And I find it rather amazing that God is saying, I'm hesitant to deliver the spanking. And yet, the time is happening where the gangrene is spreading and it's time to chop off a limb, it's time to amputate, and it's time to deliver the spanking. And so Elisha says, go and appoint Jehu king. Elisha says that. Elisha didn't even want to do it. He just says, get me out of here, take me up to heaven. My chariot You go, get, you go get Jehu and make him king. Take the flask of oil, pull it on his head and say, I have anointed you king of Israel. And he opened the door and he ran. Verse 4, so the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And he came. Behold, the captains of the army were sitting around. They're all playing euchre, right? And he said, hey, I got a word for you, O captain. And Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, O captain. And he arose and he went into the house and he poured the oil on his head, took him away from his guys playing cards. And, and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And you shall strike, listen to this, you shall strike the house of Ahab. This is your mission. Your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants of the prophets. So he's saying to one of the captains, you're going to rebel against the king and kill him. I, what would you think? If someone told you that, you need to go assassinate the president and take his place. What? So lo and behold, he says, you shall strike the house of Ahab, your master, verse 7, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, Elijah, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male person, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, which were both overthrown in rebellion, the son of Ahijah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel. That's your job. That wench 
She's going down, and you're going to kill her. And the dogs are going to eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel in the very valley that she tried to steal from righteous Naboth. And none of, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. <laughs> so poor guy, Jay, he was like, what? I'm just a good captain playing euchre. This is wacky. Now, Jehu came into the rest of his buddies, gets back into the euchre game. It says, uh, Jehu came into the servants of his master and, uh, and said to him, It's all well? Oh, why did that mad fellow come to you? What was that all about, dragged into that room? He's a wacko, isn't he? And he said to them, You know very well the man in his talk. He's some psycho prophet. And they said, it's a lie. Tell us now. What did he say? And he said, well, thus and thus he said to me, uh, thus says the Lord have anointed you king over Israel. What do you think about that, guys? And they go, good idea. And they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it uh, under him uh, on the bare steps. They laid out a nice little path for him. They blew the trumpet saying, Jehu's king. Rebellion is on. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram, his king. Now Joram, with all Israel, was defending Ramoth Gilead against who? Hazel, king of Aram. Hazel's doing his job. The pinchers are coming together. Hazel's attacking and ripping apart. And Jehu walks up to this and he says, my king's out in the battlefield. And... Uh, uh, verse 15, but King Joram, he wasn't there. He had returned to Jezreel from being healed of the wounds with the Arameans and inflicted on him when he fought with Hazel, king of Aram. So he got wounded in battle. He's back there licking his wounds. So Jehu said, uh, if this is your mind, then let no one escape or leave the city to go tell it uh, in Jezreel. We're going to go hunt down this guy and let's not, you know, blow the element of surprise here. And then Jehu rode in the chariot and went to Jezreel, right in that hometown vineyard. And he's riding like a madman. He's coming in. He's going to go kill the king. For Joram was lying there. And at the same time, Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. So you got two kings hanging out together. One guy comes up to visit the other one and says, Hey, you're doing all right, buddy? And Ahaziah, now who's king of Judah to the south, he's coming up and says, Hey, we're all buddies here. We're all, you know, got the same family. We're all worshiping Baal. You know, isn't this great? How you doing, buddy? Oh, you got some pressure from Hazael. And they're comforting one another. And uh, verse 17, now the watchman was standing. He's sitting there, there in the wall tower. The watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel. And he, sees the, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came. Uh, and he said, hey, I, uh, I see a company. There's some guys coming at us, this watchman on the wall says. And Joram said, take a horseman. Send out and find out what's coming at the city here. Uh, take a horseman and send him to meet him and, and let him say, is it peace? So the horsemen went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, is it peace? So they're recognizing Jehu, but Jehu's marching at him. And you figure they'd say, This is one of my captains riding in. What's happening? But with the way that he was riding, they said he's like a dog with his ears pinned back. There's something wrong here. And so the guy comes out on his horse and says, What's going on, Jehu? Is it peace? And Jehu says, Shut up. And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? You don't know anything about peace. You're with that rat king turn behind me you get behind me or you're dead and the watchman reported the messenger came to them but he did not return 
Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu says, What do you have to do with peace? Turn behind me. And the watchman reported. So he's not getting any answers back. He's just watching these guys file in behind him. And he came uh, even to them, and he did not return. And the driving is like the driving... Right, and the watchman reported... And he says, oh, so the guy up on the wall is now saying, he, uh, he came to them and he did not return. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You, you know, he looks like this is Jehu coming up to us, for he drives furiously. He's a madman on a, on a mission. And Joram, he's watching these guys. He goes, get ready. And they made ready the, the chariot ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out. They're coming out of their city, each in his chariot, to march out to see what Jehu wants. And they went out to meet Jehu and found him in the property of where? Naboth the Jezreelite, as God told Elijah and prophesied to them. You think you're going to steal this property? The dogs are going to lick up your blood right here. And so here they stand on that beautiful little vineyard. And it came about when Joram saw Jehum that he says, Is it peace, Jehu? What on earth is wrong with you? And he answered, What peace? So long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. Your mother, the harlot, your trash. So Joram reigned about, yeah, Okay, this is a fight. He turns around his chariot and he fled. He's got his back to him. And he said to Ahaziah, there's treachery, oh Ahaziah, we got a problem here. And they're running for their lives. And Jehu turns around. And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and he shot Joram in the back between his arms. Bang! Slings an arrow right at him. An arrow went through his heart and he sank in his chariot. And Jehu said to Bidkar, his officer, take him up and cast him into the property of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For I remember when you and I were riding together after Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid um, this oracle against him. I remember what was said, and I know what was there. I was there when that prophet spoke this against him, Jehu, saying, Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, uh, uh, the blood of the sons of the... I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord. And I will repay you in, the, in this property, says the Lord. Now then, take and cast him into the property. Listen to this. According to the word of the Lord. Jehu says, I'm doing this to fulfill God's prophecies. Then Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this. He fled. The other king's booking now. He fled by the way of the garden house. And Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him too in the chariot. So they shot him in the ascent um, of Gur, which is in Iblim, something like that. Uh, but he fled to Megiddo and died there. And then his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his grave with his fathers in the city of David. Now in the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah, became king over Judah. He says, uh, when Judah, when Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. So all of a sudden she's hearing that her son's dead. And, uh, and she painted her eyes, and she's aware of what's going to happen here. She's trying to gussy herself up and look real good, and that's why everyone hates Jezebel's. And anybody who wears makeup, this is the only mention of makeup here, is Jezebel wears makeup. And so everyone says that Jezebel is a wicked woman, and sleazy women wear makeup. But that has nothing to do with it. She painted her eyes, put some mascara on. She adorned her head and looked out the window. 
And as Jehu entered the gate, he's marching in to go kill her, she said. And she, she knows it's Jehu. She goes, is it well, Zimri? And she's going to say, yeah. Zimri was another king of Israel who stabbed the, the guy in the back. And he goes, you're a backstabber. She's putting him down. Is it well, Zimri? Your master's murder. And she's so smug. She goes, I'm not afraid of Elijah. I'm not afraid of nothing. And I'm not afraid of you. Well, some of the other people around her were afraid of him anyway. So he lifted up his face to the window and he says, Hey, who's on my side in this town? Who? So two or three officials looked down at him and said, Hey, I'll be on your side, Jehu. <laughs> this doesn't look good. So he goes, Hey, then throw her down. So they threw her down off the balcony and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. So they just started plowing over Jezebel like trash. And when he came in, he ate and he drank. Didn't seem to care at all. And he said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her for she's a king's daughter. And uh, they went out to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull uh, and the feet and the palms of her hands. And therefore they returned and told him. And he said, this is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant Elijah. The Tishbonite saying, In the property of Jezreel the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpses of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel. So they cannot say, This is Jezebel. So they mangled her to such a piece as she was unrecognizable as it was prophesied. And so Elijah is sitting down there pouting and saying, what is going to happen to this woman? It doesn't seem fair. And God says, you want to get rid of her? You do these three things. And as soon as those three things were put into place, bam, solution found. Jezebel gone. A lot of lessons there. God caring about us. God, God listening to us. God, God, God sees us in our deepest, darkest despair. And we say, God, I'm not seeing the results. And God says, be obedient to me. Trust my voice. Don't give up. And I, I will deliver you. I'll take care of that thing that seems bigger than Texas that you cannot touch. God says, I can tackle. If you listen and if you're patient, and if you're obedient to what I'm doing. And I find it amazing. Now, we're going to, I wish I could read chapter 10, but we're already going long. And we'll try and wrap a sermon out of that somehow or another. Three more times, it's just going to say, according to the servant Elijah, according to the servant Elijah, God's going to come up and sit down and eradicate and destroy. I find this to be an amazing story. I find this to be a beautiful story right in the middle of the Old Testament of God being faithful to deliver, to care, and to love for you and I. I love this. I, I, I think this is a great story where, where Elijah, you want to say, don't worry, God's in control. He was there. And granted, it's taken us, you know, some... some 15 chapters or something to find out where the problem was and where the solution is. There's 15 chapters in between, but each time you're seeing God saying, I can make an axe head float. I can provide by multiplying oil. I care and I hear and I listen and I love you. And for each one of us, when we are uh, at that place where we go, God, you know, you're a million miles away. You don't care about us. And we cry out to God and says, you're not there. God says, oh, yes, I am. 
I, I see that very thing that you're concerned about. And when you sit down and says, God, this is just terrible. We're in a situation. There's no way out of it. There's people out there that really hate me. And, and you know, this is a mess, God. I, there's no way out of it. God comes up and he says, oh, yes, there is. Do what I'm telling you to do. Appoint these people. Take care of the things that are there. Listen to the voice of God. It's that still, small voice that God wants to speak to you in and says, I love you. I care about you. I want to I bring deliverance in your life. Amen? Questions? Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are an awesome God, Father. And just as you heard Donovan, Father, as he cried out and said, Lord, if uh, you make the way, uh, it will happen. And, Father, the things that we whisper to you, Father, the things that we cry out in our heart, Father, you do hear. You do love us, Father. And, Father, within our hearts, Father, there's a lot of twisted, warped thinking. There's a lot of things that are happening, Father, in our own hearts. But, Father, you know what is real and what is not. I pray, Father, within our lives that you will work and you will do mighty things, Father, to demonstrate your strength and your love and your mercy to us. Uh, Father, I pray that if anyone is just at that point where they're disappointed with God, that, uh, that you would just speak to them, Father, whisper to them and encourage them. Father, I thank you that you do work like clockwork. You never miss a beat, Father, and that you are working in our, our lives here today to fulfill our, uh, your vision and the, and the promises that you've made. And, Father, if you care about these things and your promises to bring us to heaven are for sure as good as concrete. Father, I just thank you for being an awesome God, for working in my life, Father, bringing me through the valleys to show me that you care and that you love us. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.